YOLO Good morning, folks. It's your old chuckle buddy. I guess who? Janet and James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 14th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Fuck, man. The gulls are crying this morning. I don't know if you guys can hear that. I fucking hate seagulls, man. I remember one time I saw a, a seagull squawking. He's like... And his fucking mouth was open. And like the webbing of the inside of his mouth, it was like the color red. It was like a real sickly red color, kind of like McDonald's ketchup. You know when you get some cats up from fucking McDonald's and those little fucking... And those little fucking tubs? It's fucking McDonald's cat's app. Cat's app. Catch-up mouth. Little fucking flying rodent. They're squawking this morning, boy. Do you hear that? That's what I hate about living in, like, a metropolis, a big city. Like, don't get me wrong. You know I love you, Toronto. But for crying out loud, like, every time you turn around, it's always something needless. Seagulls screaming in a parking lot. Across the street from me, um, I have a neighbor. I've never seen this motherfucker before. I think it's all a part of, like, a prison release program due to um, <coughs> COVID-19. Due to that motherfucking pandemic, I think people have been getting let out of prison because all of a sudden there's this dude who like lives in this apartment across from me. I can see him every other morning, right? And he looks like an inmate or something, you know, freshly released. And he's skulking back and forth, right? Phenomenal body, gorgeous body, right? And he's skulking back and forth on his fucking balcony. You know, (laughs) He's got that fucking jailhouse stare to him. Skulking back and forth, right? And I'm like, wow, man. It's like pretty needless, pretty aggressive, pretty vain. (laughs) And the women, man, holy moly. I'm walking down the street the other day. You know, I turn my head. I'm like, I see like tits and ass, right? I see this fucking chick, tits and ass, hanging out. Because I guess beaches are closed now, right? Because of pandemic. So look, this bitch, this bitch, she has her fucking beach towel on the side of a curb. She's on the curb. She flips down her fucking beach towel. She's sunning herself, sunbathing on the curb. Poor little thing. She couldn't go to the beach. But for crying out loud, do you got to have your titties and ass hanging out in public? It's like not much to the imagination there. You know? Can I get you a nice coffee? Can I buy you an iced latte, honey? You know, nothing much to the imagination there, right? The needlessness of it all. But suffice to say, I am doing good during pandemic, you know? Quarantine hasn't got made me gone crazy, right? Stumbling, mumbling, bumbling. Yo, what's up? So if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramchand, on the podcast, this is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, bellyache, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self, y'all the dear listener, y'all the dear viewer. 
shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. And if you are new to the show, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. That's been to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. Hot. That's hot. You know? You know, what I've been thinking about lately is, um, you know, which is relatable across industry, whatever you do. It's the idea of knowing when it's you. Knowing when it's you. Sorry, I've been like, you know, it's like not my fault. It's like, you know, knowing when it's you. See, it all comes full circle, you know? I was kind of like stumbling and mumbling a little bit during the opening there, right? I'm like, why am I fucking stammering? I'm stumbling, mumbling, slurring words and shit. I'm like, am I fucking drunk? What the hell's going on this morning, right? But I just went for a run, right? So I'm a little, you know, I'm a little gasped. And, you know, just trying to get the breathing back. I'm sucking in my gut for some fucking reason. I don't know why. So it's like, okay, it's not me. It's just I need to calm down a little bit. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. Okay, calm the fuck down. I'm all riled up. Those seagulls really got me going, you know. It's nothing like about to go record a podcast. It's like, what the fuck do you want? Go back to the sea. Do you see a sea around here? I don't live on a beach, you fucking moron. Fucking seagulls squawking and squeaking in my back parking lot. But, you know, what's relatable across industry is knowing when it's you. You know? Sometimes we come up against challenges and, you know, difficulties and uncertainties and unfairness in a career. And, you know, you can bitch, whine, squawk, bellyache, and kibitz till the cows come home. But sometimes you got to figure out a practical way to move forward, you know. And I'm thinking about in my career, like, what comes to mind is um, when I was graduating from theater arts, when I was graduating from college, <clears throat> a trend in the industry was, um, I would say... Health, you know, robustness, you know, it was the time of the superhero movie, you know, X-Men, Will Smith was kind of really popping at that time, he had a string of movies come out, like uh, I Am Legend, uh, Ali, a bunch of these type of movies where, you know, he was in really robust shape, right? So that was like the industry trend. It's like actors and actresses were just getting in phenomenal shape. Kind of stems back to the whole, um, you know, Robert De Niro raging bull scenario where, you know, he got really fat and bloated to, to play a character, but then he also lost a lot of weight and got really robust and strong, you know, Jack LaMotta, you know. <laughs> I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I'm not an animal. I'm not an animal. <laughs> Why fuck you treat me this way? <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Fuck your mother. Your mother's cunt. Your mother's cunt. <laughs> you know, Jake LaMotta, Raging Bull, Robert De Niro. He was in really robust shape, right? 
And um, that was like kind of an industry trend when I was coming out of theater school. Everybody was like getting in shape. Everybody wants to be the amazing Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire. I'd knock it off, right? So I was just like, holy fuck, right? What a bunch of fucking, I don't know what you want to call it. But I'm going to do the opposite because I know better. I'm going to go the Marlon Brando route. You know, I'm going to balloon up to 300 pounds and chain smoke cigarettes and get drunk and smoke pot around the clock. It's pretty much what I did. And, you know, that was a case of it was me. You know, it wasn't the industry. The smarter thing to have done would have been to be like, you know what? Take this as a challenge and an opportunity to compete. Because I was already in fairly good shape. It's not like I had to, you know, I was young, I was healthy, I was active. I didn't really have that far to go. All I had to really do was just, you know, buckle down, knuckle down and hit the gym. Couple sit-ups, couple squats, you know. Next thing you know, I'm hanging out with Tobey Maguire, you know. Amazing Spider-Man Part 5 or whatever, right? I could have done it. <laughs> Allegedly. And, um, you know, instead I kind of, I kind of buckled, I kind of caved in. I gave in to the fear. I gave in to the, to the, the fear and, and I, I created imaginary opponents. And it was totally a case of me. It was me, my own short-sightedness. And here we are, 19 years of service, you know? I was up at the crack of dawn. <laughs> I was up at the crack of dawn this morning, went for a jog, you know? Eating healthy, working out, staying fit, and trying to cultivate whatever opportunities I can with um, my health as a focus, Spiritually, mentally, and physically, body, soul, and mind. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. I am also a stand-up comedian. Yes, I am. 11 plus years of service. A little sip of coffee. Get the blood flowing. And, um, you know, again... As it is important in industry to know when it is you, it is also important to know when it isn't you. Sometimes it isn't you, and you don't have to take it so personally. Sometimes you're going to be pigeonholed and cornered and stuck in a box in your career, and you might be flipping and floundering and flipping the fuck out, being like, yo! Wagwan, why these motherfuckers be on a motherfucker? You know, why are they on me? Your boomba clot, your rice clot, your blood clot, your back the fuck up. You know, like, you're about to fucking do a drive-by on the fucking boss, you know? That fucking penis wrinkle. Busting your chops, busting your balls, you know? Chafing your vajayjay, you know? Tickling your tits, fucking your day up. What the fuck? It's important to realize when it isn't you. Case in point. There was this mic I used to go to, right? It was an open mic. It was nothing glorious. It was just like a, a workout spot. Comedians generally, they take, up until a certain point, most comedians will take any gig they can 
to refine their act, right? So I was doing this this room. It was kind of like a it was a it was a lower level room, right? It was just kind of like a little workout spot. You know, every week there would be a show and I'd go down there and I'd work on my act. But I started to notice that it was mainly comedians and um, they seemed to have a uh, a uh, a penchant or a pentant or whatever the fucking word is. They seemed to have a hard on for um, giggle comics. <laughs> giggle comics. Now, I ain't the defining definition on this, but to me, a giggle comic is like somebody who giggles their way through their set. You know, they're up there. <laughs> they tell a joke. So, um, something or something. <laughs> or they have like an even more obnoxious way of doing it, right? Like, <laughs> it's like their fucking catchphrase or something, you know? So something happened and something happened and something happened and, uh. <laughs> and then that clues the audience in. Oh, he's being funny. Oh, ho, 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 ho. You know, a fucking giggle comic. <laughs> fucking giggle comics, right? Now, as I said, this is my opinion. This is by no means a ultimate definition. And I also realize that there's a difference, right? Sometimes a comedian is very gregarious, charismatic, and, you know, that's a part of their stage performance. They're on stage, they're feeling themselves, the crowd's with them. And they, they laugh out of enjoyment, you know? It's not so much a crutch, right? So there's a difference between, you know, laughing at your own jokes because, you know, you're feeling yourself, you're a part of the crowd. You're feeling yourself, you're feeling the crowd work. And it's a part of the rhythm of the show. And it's a part of your performance. There's a difference between doing that and just being a straight-up giggle comic. <laughs> <laughs> like laughing at their own fucking jokes, right? I mean, if you dip back into the lexicon of Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, um, you'll see that many times, you know, I do my little bits, I do my little rants, I do my little bitch wine squawkabellyking and kibitzing. But generally, am I hooting and hollering and laughing it up? <laughs> so anyways, um, I woke up this morning and the pigeons and the seagulls were bothering me in the parking lot. And I said to myself, fuck those pigeons. <laughs> like, am I laughing at my fucking jokes here? No, I just drop it. And then, you know, let the chips fall where they may, you know? Let the audience fill in the fucking blank. Is it funny? I don't fucking know. Why don't you figure it out? Not to be so combative, but it's it's about believing in your material. And, you know, it's just kind of tasteless. It's kind of an unwritten thing. That's why I'm trying to say I don't have a definition on this, right? So suffice to say, death to the fucking giggle comic. You know who you are, you fucking gigglers, right? And fucking chucklers and chortlers out there, right? So anyway, I'm doing this fucking, like I said, I'm doing this shitty room. And week after week, I'd go there, do this room, and my style's a little, again, different strokes for different folks. A lot of times I would get, you know, I don't know, fairly good reaction, whatever. A lot of times I'd do quite well, but a lot of times it would just be a bunch of disgruntled comics, and, you know, it is what it is. You can't think too much into it. But again, I started to notice, oh, 
the vibe of this room is for the gigglers. The giggle comic. <laughs> and um, that's a perfect example of knowing when it isn't you. I could drive myself crazy. Oh, what the fuck? I'm funnier than a fucking giggle comic. What the hell? How come these people aren't laughing at me? Well, number one, there's no audience. <laughs> it's just a bunch of giggle comics. Bunch of disgruntled giggle comics who only want to giggle for their little giggle friends, you know? Fucking gigabyte. And, and giggity giggity, you know? Fucking whatever the fuck. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, see, there I am. I'm, now I'm a giggle comic, you know? laughing at my own shit but uh, it's just real sickening you know and you know I started to realize that you know oh wait like I didn't start to I kind of knew right off the hop that's just kind of where my experience led me you know that's the lie I told myself I'm like no it's not me it's not me this is a giggle comic room and, you know, that's my own definition. It's not, like, set in stone, you know. Don't rake me over the coals on this one, folks. But, um, you know, I started to notice, oh, yeah, this room is really about the giggle comic. And that's just the vibe of the room. And, hey, it's not me. My bag of tricks, my expertise, my je ne sais quoi might be better adapted to a different room. But I can take the... The opportunity, I can take the challenge, do my spot, and go on with my day. Or my night, rather. Shows are usually done at night. So it's like, yeah, I can just go on with my night, and who gives a fuck, right? And that's an example of knowing when it isn't you. Interesting stuff across industry. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yeah, and that pretty much sums up my world as of late. You know, actor, comedian extraordinaire, welcome to the show. A little ship of coffee for all y'all audiophiles out there. Just having a quick ship of coffee. Okay, vaccinations. Vaccines. Uh, Vladimir Putin. Russia. Russia has apparently come up with a vaccine. Um, you would think this would be breaking news, right? But I think what we're seeing here is the politicizing of this pandemic. What I've been spouting since the beginning is like, yo, this thing could all be, hey, it's still very much up in the air. There's no conclusions. You know, we're not post-pandemic yet. I'm not 100% convinced that this isn't all a gimmick, a hoax. I'm not. I wear my little mask. I wear my mask. I do my best, but... You know, I social distance, wash hands, all that shit. I do that, and I advocate that. And any, any of y'all youngins, all the babies, all the children, all the munchkins around the universe, you know, any of y'all young, youngins listen, listen to me now, boy. Any of y'all youngins listening, you know, you might as well wear your mask, wash your hands, you know. 
social distance, but I'm not 100% convinced that this isn't, this isn't all a hoax, right? And something that lends credit to that is, I mean, come on. The world has been screaming for a vaccine, right? Isn't that, isn't that the narrative? As soon as we get a vaccine, people can go back to work. Life can resume as normal. The economy can get um, rejuvenated. Oh, when will we have this vaccine? It seems like it's two years away. It's 18 months away. Oh, only, if only for a vaccine. Well, allegedly, Russia has come up with a vaccine that, um, what is it? His royal shumkaness, his royal czarness, the czar of Russia, the prime minister, president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. Apparently his daughter um, took the vaccine. They're claiming to have a cure for COVID-19. Like Russia has come up with a vaccine for COVID-19. Isn't that like breaking news? But it's like, it's kind of underpublicized. And that's what I mean by how we're starting to see how this can all just, at least I am, seeing how this can all just be a game because it's like the politicizing of this pandemic. It's like, well, why isn't, the Western countries, why isn't the world embracing this medical marvel? We have a vaccine. They're just like, uh, whatever. They're, it's like not, it's not even in our news cycle. I, I read some of the news cycles that come up on my feed and it's just like, you know, um, you know, um, 90s boy band star, uh, caught barefoot in a fucking Dunkin' Donuts. Like just the dumbest dummy fucking articles but it's like russia finds a cure for covid19 the pandemic that swept the globe in 2020 they're just like ho hum diddly hum we're not going to report on that it's kind of like been swept under the fucking blanket now peep this here's an article this is from cbc.ca russia approves coronavirus vaccine before final clinic trials are completed President Vladimir Putin said on Tuesday that Russia has become the first country in the world to grant regulatory approval to a coronavirus vaccine after less than two months of human testing, a move hailed by Moscow as evidence of its scientific prowess. I thought only sexuality had a prowess. Scientific prowess? Oh, look at the fucking test tubes on that one. Scientific prowess? Anyway. The vaccine developed by the Gamalaya Research Institute of Epidemiology and Microbiology still has to complete final trials, raising serious concerns among some scientific experts about the speed of its approval. But Russian business conglomerate Sistema has said it expects to put it into mass production by the end of the year. Russian health workers treating COVID-19 patients will be offered the chance of volunteering to be vaccinated in the coming weeks, a source told Reuters last month. Regulatory approval paves the way for the mass inoculation of the Russian population and authorities hope it will allow the economy, which has been battered by fallout from the virus, to return to full capacity. Russia has recorded nearly 15,000 COVID-19 deaths, with more than 
890,000 confirmed cases, according to tracking by Johns Hopkins University. Karel Dmitriev, head of Russia's sovereign wealth fund, hailed the development as a historic Sputnik moment. Yet net one small step for a cosmonaut, one giant leap for mankind, one small cough for mankind. Hailed the development as a historic Sputnik moment, comparable to the Soviet Union's 1957 launch of Sputnik 1, the world's first satellite, thus bringing pornography into every household. Thank you, Russia. From Russia with love. The first satellite dish. The vaccine will be marked under the name Sputnik 5, Sputnik V, on foreign markets, he said. Dmitriev and Russia had already received foreign requests for a billion doses. Let me just stop there for a second. Isn't that funny? They're going to market it as Sputnik 5. Yeah, we're not still petty and um, politicizing and, you know, filibustering, um, you know, with America. The Cold War is over, right? But we're going to call the we're going to call this vaccine Sputnik 5. You know, the whole race to space situation. No, we're not. Нет, нет, no, we're not. We're not, uh, how you say, we're not, uh, uh, you know, um, spoiled sports. We're not spoiled sports or bad losers. No, we're not uh, sour pusses. We're not, uh, нет, we're not uh, pussies. No, нет, no, no. We're not pussies. We're not crybabies. We're not, no, нет. We're not still mad about the race to space. Race to space, Cold War. No, we're over it. Um, there was no Mueller report. We did not collude with uh, your president, uh, president, uh, president Herdu, uh, president Trump. No, we, нет, we know, we know. No, yet. But we're calling the vaccination vaccination uh, Sputnik 5. Long live Putin! Or whatever the fuck, right? Um, Dmitriev and Russia had already received foreign requests for a billion doses. International agreements had been secured to produce 500 million doses annually with the vaccine also expected to be produced in Brazil. He said clinical trials were expected to start soon in the United Arab Emirates in the Philippines. See, all this fucking global connectivity, yet we're not really hearing about it here in the West. You know, you think fucking we'd be doing cartwheels over this shit, but it's like pretty underpublicized. But apparently there's all these orders, a billion doses... 500 million doses, requests, right? But only about 10% of clinical trials are successful. And the speed at which Russia has moved, approving a vaccine before the final stages of trials to test safety and efficacy, are over. 
has worried some scientists who fear Moscow may be putting national prestige before safety. No shit. Speaking at a government meeting on state television, Putin dismissed those concerns, saying the vaccine developed by Moscow's Gamaleya Institute was safe and that it had been administered to one of his daughters, which I'm going to which I'm going to amend here, which is probably a complete fucking lie. You know, a little addendum, you know, that I'm going to add. That's a complete lie. Come on. President Putin's daughter, they used her as a guinea pig. Give me a fucking break. You're an absolute liar, Vladimir Putin. But anyway, um, that's my two cents. I know that it works quite effectively, forms strong immunity, and I repeat, it has passed all the needed checks, said Putin. He said he hoped mass production would start soon. The World Health Organization says it has not received enough information on the Russian COVID-19 vaccine to evaluate it. Jabas Borbasa, the assistant director of its regional branch, the Pan American Health Organization, said on Tuesday that plans to produce the potential vaccine in Brazil should not go ahead until phase two and phase three are completed to guarantee its safety and effectiveness. Any vaccine producer has to follow this procedure that guarantees it is safe and has the WHO's recommendation, he said in a virtual briefing from Washington. The vaccine's approval by the health ministry comes before a start before the start of a larger trial involving thousands of participants, commonly known as a phase 3 trial. Such trials, which require a certain rate of participants catching the virus to observe the vaccine's effect, are normally considered essential precursors for a vaccine to receive regulatory approval. The Moscow-based Association of Clinical Trials Organizations, ACTO, the Association of Clinical Trials Organizations, a trade body representing the world's top drug makers in Russia this week, urged the health ministry to postpone approval until the final trial had been successfully completed. And it goes on and on and on from there. So basically, um, you know, that was an article from cbc.ca. Russia has come up with a vaccine. It's still in phase one. They haven't completely tested it to the standard. I guess there's a three-step standard, a three-phase standard. They haven't quite went through all three phases of it. It hasn't been a long enough observation period. And I guess that is some of the hesitancy as well. So maybe it isn't such a politicizing situation as much as it's about, you know, safety protocol, you know? And it makes sense as well because, I mean... The general sentiment was like, it's going to take 18 months to two years, 24 months. So, you know, in terms of like a global opinion on vaccination, the World Health Organization 
according to them, and we were like, you know, several months away from any feasible, trustworthy vaccine. But yet here we have Russia, you know. Нет, no, я не знаю, да, we have vaccination, you know. Interesting stuff. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about all this, you know? Would you trust a vaccination? A vaccination? Would you trust a vaccine that's only been, like, through one level of testing? Would you get vaccinated in general? That's another very interesting um, byproduct of this whole pandemic situation. It's like, you guys are saying that Life can't re- return to normal unless we have vaccination. But whoa, 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 whoa. Who says that we agree to get vaccinated? Uh, you know, um, I'm kind of anti-vaccination. I don't take vaccinations for anything. Um, yeah, I'm anti-vaccination. I hope you guys still like, comment, and subscribe to the show, but I'm anti-vaccination. I mean, I'm not putting weird things into my body. Hell no. I'll wear a mask, but that's about the end of it. So, I don't... That's another, that's another, that's another scary byproduct of this situation. It's just like, oh, oh, we need a vaccination. But it's like, who fuck says I'm going to take it? Who the fuck this says the masses of people have to take it? Will it become mandatory? Will it become mandatory to become vaccinated? The frontiers of the new world seem um, very uncertain at the moment. But please do hit me up with your sentiments. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com Coincidentally, all this talk on science leads me into today's discussion. One moment for a sip of coffee. So an ongoing um, piece, an ongoing, uh, you know, I guess you can call it segment, an ongoing segment here at JR the P, Jonathan Ramtron the podcast, is um, readings from the book Philosophy. Philosophy, The Basics, by Nigel Warburton. I'll post information um, where you can get the book. I believe you can get it on Amazon. I bought mine for like $23 Canadian. That's chicken scratch compared to other economies. Philosophy, The Basics, by Nigel Warburton. Now, the ongoing segment is, you know, I'm reading from this book, various topics in the world of philosophy. We've covered like the idea, does God exist? Um, what is right, what is wrong, animal rights, um, you know, reality, illusion, you know. And these are very big philosophical questions that could fill a fucking phone book. And, you know, I tackle them from a very basic standpoint. And this book is a very handy summation of some of the basic points on these philosophical theories. Now, the next one that we're dipping into here today in regards to, you know, some of the stuff we spoke about, science, vaccinations. Well, today we're talking science. 
Yes, what is science? You know? You know, these fucking scientists got us bent over a fucking, you know, modulator. They got us bent over a fucking modulator as they do their little fucking experiments on these vaccinations and this, that, and henceforth. Well, what, on a philosophical level, is the credibility and meaning of science? So here we go. Science. Historically, science replaced truth by authority, meaning accepting as true the views of various important authorities. Notably, the surviving works of the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle and the teachings of the church, not because of what's claimed, but because of who claimed it. So yeah, pre-science, the way people settled any sort of, you know, scientific inquiry or any kind of, you know, world natural law anomaly, the way they would settle it was by authority. You know, the church, philosophers, Greek philosophers, you know, just a blanket authority, which is pretty arbitrary, right? Then we come to scientific method. You know, this is something that, you know, generally speaking, we hang our hat on in society, right? There's a lot of value in it. Scientific method. Scientists begin by making a large number of observations of some aspects of the world. These observations should be as objective as possible, unbiased. Once the scientists gain a large amount of data based on these observations, the next stage is to create a theory which explains the pattern of results. If it's a good theory, it will both explain what is happening and what is likely to happen in the future. If future results don't fit these predictions, then the scientists will usually modify the theory to cope with them. Because there is a great deal of regularity in the natural world, scientific predictions can be very accurate. Accurate. Okay, so basically, scientific theory, they make a bunch of observations. Based on these observations, the next stage is to create a theory which explains the pattern of results. And if this is a good theory, it will both explain what is happening and what is likely to happen in the future. Making observations, watching observations, coming up with a theory to predict future results. Scientific method. Well, then there's criticism. Criticism of the scientific method. Can observations be made in a completely unprejudiced way? Our knowledge and our expectations of what we are likely to see affect what we actually see. That's very important, you know. Our knowledge and our expectations of what we are likely to see affect what we actually see. The example to give here is like, for example, like an electrician. Let's say you have um, a situation where you have to open a electrical box, you know, some sort of electrical box on a telephone pole, right? To the layman, to the everyday person like myself, if I open that electrical box, I look into it, I see a bunch of wires 
Just wires, 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 you know? I'm wired. There's wires everywhere. It's just a mess. That's what I see. Oh, just a bunch of wires. Well, an electrician, an electrician might open that box, take a gander. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. This goes here, that goes Hopefully not. Hopefully he doesn't get electrocuted, but you see the point, right? It's a matter of perspective. So there is prejudice in observation. There can be, right? Um, our knowledge and our expectations of what we are likely to see affect what we actually do see. You know, there is that prejudice. And then there's also um, some observations we refuse to affect our beliefs. We just flat out refuse, right? Like, for example, um, perception. You know, we might see the sun hanging in the sky. It might look as close as, oh, there's the sun. It's just right behind that building, you know? But I refuse to believe that even though I do see it. It's perception, right? It's like, okay, well, the sun, it's just really behind that building. But, you know, I know that it's actually millions and billions and trillions of miles away out there in space. And even then, do I really know that? Perception, reality, illusion, you know? These are things to consider in regards to scientific method. And another criticism of scientific method, observation statements. The language that scientists use to make these observation statements may have theoretical assumptions built in. Yeah, like for example, they use here, he touched the bare wire and gave himself an electrical shock. You know, he fried his nutsack, you know. That presupposes the knowledge and understanding of theories of both electricity and physiology. Yes, you know. He touched the bare wire and gave himself an electrical shock. Well, if that's your scientific observation that is supposedly going to lead to a theory to predict future occurrences, which you can call scientific method, If that's your observation, well, you presuppose that I understand what an electrical shock is. And you also presuppose I know what the physiology of touching something is. He touched something with his bare hand. Maybe some people don't really understand what that means to touch something, the physiology of it. How did he touch it? Why did he touch it? What is electricity? What is an electrical shock? There's a lot of assumptions in that observation. So that's added criticism to scientific method. You know, the, um, the bias in um, the observation statement, you know, added information in an observation statement. We move along to selection, another criticism of the scientific method. Scientists choose which aspects of any situation they concentrate on. The choice involves decisions which are theory-related. Yeah, so 
to make a scientific method, you know, observations that lead to a theory which predict future outcomes, when making that initial observation, there is the prejudice, there is the bias of choice. The scientists might choose to focus on this aspect. They might choose to focus on another aspect. So there is that prejudice in the selection during the observation stages in building a scientific theory, scientific method. My stomach's growling. Now we come to the problem of induction. An inductive argument typically involves a generalization based on a number of specific observations. For example, all animals with fur are viviporous. Viviporous, I believe, means they give a live birth to their offspring. You know? Viviporous, they birth live offspring versus like a chicken. Versus like a chicken who like, you know, lays an egg. So an inductive argument is like all animals with fur are viviporous. We've observed that generally speaking, all animals that have fur give a live birth. So we've induced that and that's our inductive argument. A deductive argument begins with particular premises and then moves logically to a conclusion, which follows from these premises. You know, the example they use here is all birds are animals, swans are birds, swans are animals. Yeah, so that's the premise. All birds are animals. Okay, well, if our premise is that all birds are animals, and if swans are birds, then our conclusion is that swans are animals. You know? That's a deductive argument. You know, a premise, and then it moves logically to a conclusion, which follows from those premises. Deduction. Elementary, my dear Watson. Deductive arguments are truth-preserving. This means if their premises are true, then their conclusions must be true. In contrast, the conclusions of inductive arguments with true premises may or may not be true. That's interesting, right? That's very important. Like a deductive argument is truth-preserving. If the premise is true, then the conclusion is true. In contrast, the conclusions of an inductive argument with true premises may or may not be true. Yes, that's a very interesting point. In the example they gave here, a chicken thinks that it will wake up to be fed each day, like the previous day. One day the chicken wakes up and the farmer wrings its neck. Isn't that sad? So the chicken wakes up, chicken plucking, walking around. And, you know, he thinks that's everyday, everyday life, you know. You know? And then one day he wakes up. (laughs) 
And then the farmer comes and wrings his neck. Chicken noodle soup, you know, soup's on. You know, that's the, um, you know, that's the uh, inductive argument, right? The generalization is that the chicken's going to wake up every day and be fed like normal. But the falter there is like, well, one day he gets his neck wrung. So if you make an observation with an inductive argument where it's like, okay, well, as a chicken, I notice that every day I wake up and I'm fed. So that just must be the way things are. Well, then your world gets flipped topsy-turvy upside down when that one day you wake up, you get your fucking neck wrung. Right? So no matter how true an inductive argument may seem in premise, the conclusion can be ultimately wrong at times. Right? Whereas with a deductive argument, if the premise is true to begin with, you know, all swans are animals. Then it is logical to believe at the end it will remain true. The conclusion will remain true, right? If the premise is true, the conclusion is true in a deductive argument, you know? All swans are animals. (laughs) All birds are animals. Swans are birds. Swans are animals. Elementary, my dear Watson, right? Interesting stuff. Now we move along to inference to the best explanation. Inference to the best explanation. Another form of non-deductive style of arguing is known as inference to the best explanation. Judging the plausibility of of a hypothesis in terms of the sort of explanation it offers. The best hypothesis, say that fucking ten times fast, hypothesis, 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 inference to the best explanation. Another form of non-deductive style of arguing is known as inference to the best explanation. Judging the plausibility of a hypothesis in terms of the sort of explanation it offers. The best hypothesis is the one that explains more. Yes. So, in this style of, um, I guess, problem solving, scientific problem solving, what I'm calling it, (laughs) you know, in this world of scientific inquiry, inference to the best explanation, um, that's a method that you can use in science. For example, um, the example they use here, um, you see a cat sleeping contented amidst the entrails of a mice, of a mouse. Squeak, you know? You come home, you see your cat sleeping contented, and next to your cat is a bunch of ripped up entrails, a bunch of ripped up body parts of a mouse, right? You know, you got the mouse head, the mouse tail, the mouse guts, just... Splayed out in front of the fucking cat, you know? You see a cat sleeping amidst a bunch of mouse guts, you know? 
the um, the inference to the best explanation is that the cat ate the mouse and took a nap. Right? That is the hypothesis. That is the um, judging the plausibility of a hypothesis in terms of a sort of explanation that offers the best conclusion. A hypothesis is the one that explains more, right? You make that inference, right? Am I making sense here? Like, inference to the best explanation. You see your cat sleeping amidst a bunch of fucking mice parts, body parts, you know, you see a ripped up mouse next to your contented sleeping cat, You infer to the best explanation, okay, your cat ate the mouse, then took a nap, a cat nap. Well, that is the best explanation, but there are other explanations. Maybe somebody broke into the house and chopped up a mouse and threw it at the feet of your sleeping cat. That could have happened. You know, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe the the mice parts, the mouse body parts, maybe they just materialized on the carpet. You know, you can make up any explanation for it. But inference inference to the best explanation would be that, well, the best explanation to infer from this is that the cat ate the mouse and took a nap. A cat nap, to get technical, scientifically technical. A cat nap. All right. Inference to the best explanation. Now we move on to the problem of induction. There are numerous very different generalizations we could make on the basis of the past, all of which are consistent with the available data. However, these different generalizations can give completely different predictions about the future. Yeah. So... Um... That kind of goes to the thing where I said there about the mouse. There's so many different explanations why the cat's sleeping, how the mouse body parts got there. Um, and in terms of induction, um, an argument typically involves a generalization based on a certain number of specific observations. Um, yeah, these different generalizations can give completely different predictions about the future. So... It's the problem with induction is just that there's a generalization that can go into a never ending loop of predictions for the future. It's not really a solid place in which to hang your hat. Like, for example, there, um, for example, with the chicken, like just because one thing is true in this situation doesn't mean that it's going to last the test of time, right? Like um, during pandemic, perfect example. Um, you may have, like, for example, um, hey, all the best hope for everybody, man. But this is just the example that came to my mind. It's like um, you might be employed, right? You may be employed for now and everything seems fine. It seems like it's always been. That's the generalization you can come to, right? I wake up in the morning, I induce that I have a job, I go to my job, I come home, that's the end of it. Well, 
That is an inductive argument because one day you may wake up and you've been laid off, right? Or conversely, um, you might induce that there is no hope, you know? There's no employment. Oh my God, there's no employment. I'll never recover from this. And that's your inductive argument, you know? Everything that I've seen so far is a generalization of doom. But then one day you might wake up and then, oh my God, hope. You know, the the economy recovers. Um, More opportunity, right? So that's the problem with induction. It, it, there's so many um, generalizations that give no concrete um, projection into the future. You know, no, no long-lasting conclusions. And again, the definition of induction. An inductive argument typically involves a generalization based on a number of certain specific observations. Right? So... That's the criticism. It's like, yeah, those observations may be true in the moment, but can we conclude that indefinitely? Whereas with a deductive argument, if the premise is true, then the conclusion will be true. It has more of a lasting effect, you know? All birds are animals. Swans are birds, therefore, swans are animals. That's pretty lasting. You know, that's pretty concrete. The premise is a good premise, you know. All birds are animals. If swans are birds, then swans must be animals. That's a great premise, and it gives you a great conclusion. Whereas, you know... um, a generalized argument, an inductive argument, where it's like, oh, um, the economy is terrible, and it will always be terrible. Well, that's not the greatest inductive argument, because, um, you know, things will change. There's hope. And then again, too, we're not really talking about a scientific law, like an, an economy is not quite a scientific law so it's kind of a strange argument but the theory is still relatable right now we move along to falsification dream of falsification falsificationism falsificationists falsificationists argue that the simple view of science is misguided scientists don't begin by making observations they begin with a theory These theories are then subjected to experimental testing. The experiments are intended to prove the theory false rather than true. Science works by attempting to falsify theories rather than by proving them to be true. Any theory that is shown to be false is discarded or at least modified. Science thus progresses by means of conjecture and refutation. 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 The mere falsifiable, the more falsifiable a statement, the more useful to science. You know, the example they give here is the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain versus 
Either it will rain today or it won't. The latter statement is true by definition, therefore nothing to do with empirical observation. It is not a scientific hospital. It is not a scientific hypothesis. You know? So yeah, the more falsifiable a statement, the more valuable, the more useful it is to science. So, you know, the example they gave, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. Okay, well, can we falsify that? Can we test that? Can we test where the rain in Spain mainly falls? Does the rain in Spain mainly fall on the plain or does it fall on, you know, uh, the vein, the vein of some Spanish guy or whatever, right? Where does the rain really fall in Spain? Can we test that? Can we falsify that? Versus either it will rain today or it won't. Well, that statement is true by definition. It's going to rain today or not. That is true by definition. Therefore, nothing to do with empirical observation. It is not a scientific hypothesis. Right? So, you know, that's how falsifiable, uh, a falsifiable statement works. And, you know, that's the usefulness it has to science. One criticism of falsification is that it fails to take into account the role of confirmation of hypotheses in science. The confirmation of certain theories slash observation could lead the important... Oh, wait. One criticism of falsification is that it fails to take into account the role of confirmation of hypotheses in science. The confirmation of certain theories slash observations could lead to important future predictions. Falsification seems to advocate the overthrow of theory on on the basis of single falsifying case experiments slash study require many parts making space for human error. I don't know what I just read there. Let me try again. Falsificationism seems to advocate the overthrow of theory on the basis of a single falsifying case. Experiment slash study require many parts, making space for human error. Okay. Falsification method slash belief is also historically inaccurate. Isaac Newton, theory of gravity. <laughs> gravity? I'm so fucking stupid. No, I'm not. Stop it, Jonathan. Why are you talking horribly about yourself? Falsification method slash belief is also historically inaccurate. Isaac Newton's theory of gravity was apparently falsified by observations of the moon's orbit soon after he made his theory public. Only at a much later date were these observations shown to have been misleading. Newton clung to his theory of gravity and this had beneficial effects on science. But on account of falsification, Newton's theory should have been chucked out on the grounds that it had been falsified. Interesting, right? So that's some of the criticism of falsification. Like, um, um, it can be inaccurate. Inaccurate. Newton's theory of gravity was apparently falsified, but he, he hung on to it, and he eventually proved his theory of gravity wrong or right. You know, like, watch this. 
oh, wow, gravity works, you know, he proved it somehow or whatever the fuck, right? Give me 50, give me 500 Newtons, give me 500 Newtons, stat. You remember in science class where you had that little, like, it was like a pulley that was like on a little lever and then you'd hang a weight from it and that's how many Newtons it took to have the G-forces of, ah, hell, I don't know. But, you know, falsification is um, historically inaccurate, you know? Sometimes a theory needs a little bit more coaxing and conjoling and a little enthusiasm, you know? Then we come to scientism. If something can't be explained scientifically, it can't be explained at all. You know those people, right? Those fucking pundit, maybe not pundit, but those, um, you know, pedantic motherfuckers out there with a fucking horn-rimmed glasses, a calculator in their front pocket, test tube in their backpack, shit-eating grin, you know those types. If something can't be explained scientifically, it can't be explained at all. That is known as scientism. A A criticism being scientific explanations have their place, but they are not everything. The main objection to scientism is that it overvalues scientific explanation. And, um, you know, some of the examples they have there is like the enjoyment of music. You know? For all our know-how, for all the fucking test tubes this side of the galaxy, we can't explain the enjoyment of music. Like, why do we as human beings enjoy the sound of music? Who fucking knows, right? And um, one thing that comes to mind in terms of that, for me, that really kind of put my faith in a higher being, a higher, like a God, my faith in God, was solidified that for me was the involuntary system like check it out scientists modern science they know so much about the human body they know so much about disease and they know so much about physiology and biology and microbiology and epidemiology they know so much but check it you know the involuntary system This is from medicinenet.com, medicinenet.com. Medical definition of involuntary. Involuntary, done other than in accordance with conscious will of the individual, the opposite of voluntary. The terms voluntary and involuntary apply to the human nervous system and it controls over muscles. The nervous system is divided into two parts, somatic and autonomic. The somatic nervous system operates muscles that are under voluntary control. The autonomic, autonomic or visceral nervous system regulates individual organ function and is involuntary. Opening the mouth is involuntary while blushing is involuntary. Opening the mouth is voluntary, while blushing is involuntary. Obviously, I can't blush. That's a black joke. So, you know, 
the involuntary system. Isn't that amazing? For all the science and all the know-how we have in the universe, the involuntary system. We don't know what gives life. We don't know what that spark of life is. Like right now, I can voluntarily, okay, look, after I say this, I'm going to move um, my right hand, which I think appears left on the screen, but I don't really know and I don't want to argue with you. I'm going to move one of my hands into frame after I just say this. And then I'm going to wave again. Like I did that voluntary movement with my arm. I volunteered that movement. But right now I'm breathing. You know, my lungs are taking in air and oxygen. My heart is beating. My liver is functioning. My kidneys are functioning. My heart is functioning. My stomach. That's all involuntary. What gives life? I'm not thinking about it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm just breathing. My heart's pumping blood through my body. My lungs are taking in oxygen. My kidneys are doing whatever the fuck it is they do. My liver is filtering, I think, toxins, you know. My stomach is turning, you know, last night's meal into shit for me to shit out. Now, coincidentally, um, there is a mixture, a hybrid of like voluntary slash involuntary functions. Like, for example, my stomach turns food into shit, you know, that's an involuntary thing, like my stomach is turning up my my meal and turning it into shit, but then I voluntarily shit, you know, like I, I involuntarily make shit, but I voluntarily shit. You follow? Like it's an involuntary action for my body to produce waste, but it is a voluntary action for me to take a shit. Or a piss, for that matter, scientifically speaking. So, you know, that's the that's the um, that's the criticism of scientism. Scientism is the belief that everything can be explained through science, and anything that cannot is of no value, right? If something can't be explained scientifically, it can't be explained at all. That's scientism. Well, explain to us the involuntary system. Why is our body just functioning, involuntary? What gives life? Isn't that a major question, yo? That's why I believe in God. You know, I see the, um, I see the design and the beauty in his work. Or her work. I ain't opposed to it. His or her. Or it could be a tribe of gods. It could be many gods that created the earth. You know, I don't have a specific denomination. I just believe. And, um, you know, that's some of the criticism of scientism. So that's science in a nutshell, folks. You know, we got scientific method, observations that um, can lead to a theory to predict future outcomes that's scientific method then we have um induction um what is induction again observations generalizations of an observation that lead to generalized outcomes you know uh 
Generalizations based on a certain number of specific observations, you know, that's induction. Then we, that's induction. Then we have deductive arguments, you know. You begin with a particular premise, and then you move along logically to a conclusion. Falsification, you know, trying to falsify scientific method in order, in order to get more useful data. Then you have, you know, scientism, the belief that anything that cannot be explained scientifically cannot be explained at all. Very interesting stuff. And very interesting during this time of pandemic where it's like, um, based on scientific method, you know, you want to make an observation, you know, it's like, okay, we've done this testing to come up with a vaccination. We observed it in this stage. Well, there's got to be a trial of observations and you got to be able to falsify what you believe in order to get more of a truth of understanding in the situation. So there's many trials and tribulations in scientific method and inquiry that lead to the furthering of science and the furthering of science in many cases can lead to the the safety and the furthering of understanding um, in our health as human beings. And that's very relevant now. Like, I mean, as we're looking at this with Russia, you know, how, how verifiable, verifiable is this vaccination? How tested is it? Can we falsify it? Is there falsifiable data that will lead us to a more useful vaccination, a more useful uh, piece of science. Let us raise a test tube. Science! It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 13th. Whoops. August 14th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Science, folks. It's a brain teaser. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, queries, or qualms. Um, I'm available on Spotify. I'm available on iTunes. I'm available on YouTube. You can catch me on my website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. Connect with me on all those levels, folks. Love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, please help my black ass out for crying out loud. Help my black ass out. Please share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it, you love it, you realize it. Aight? Peace.